When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The poem says, Human voices wake us, and we drown. But I've made this podcast with the belief that human voices are what we need. And so, whether from a year or 3,000 years ago, whether poetry or prose, whether fiction or diary or biography, here are the best things we have ever thought, written, or said. I was all set to post something else here today when I read the news that Lawrence Ferlinghetti just yesterday died at the age of 101. And just like when Seamus Heaney died in late August of 2013, I found myself at the dinner table just sort of overcome. And I remembered back in high school, my friend Paul, who has since gone on to become a pretty successful uh, science fiction and horror writer. Um, I remember him running up to me one day with a library-bound copy of Ferlinghetti's A Coney Island of the Mind, which I'm pretty sure he stole from the high school library. And he had found a Garbage Pail Kid sticker for Peeled Paul and uh, stuck it on the front of A Coney Island of the Mind which I'm almost certain was the first book of poetry that I ever knew about and was either the first or second or third book of poetry that I ever bought for myself. He has a great meaning for the very earliest poetry that I ever read and the very earliest poetry that I ever tried to write. As I got older, out of my teens and twenties, I sold pretty much all the books of his that I had, except for that early first copy of A Coney Island of the Mind. And looking over the poems today, just glancing at what I had highlighted in the books more than 20 years ago, I could see that uh, my love of borrowing and stealing from other poets, which I first really recognized in Eliot, and then only later came to see quite that Ferlinghetti was doing uh, something similar. Uh, there's that kind of affection that I have for him. Um, there's the affection of someone writing nostalgically and beautifully about his childhood, and I wanted to read one of those poems here today as well. Um, there is just the, I don't know, just the, the, the earliest, the earliest thing is very often what you remember and what you hold on to, even if you don't really take strength from it anymore. It's always that first step that, uh, that means so much, and he meant a great deal to me. With that same friend that I mentioned, Paul, I remember 
must have been after high school, at a uh, one of those roadside diners that had a payphone at the at the booth. You knew it was a serious truck stop diner if you didn't even didn't even have to get up to make a phone call. I remember calling City Lights Books at uh, at midnight Ohio time, so it must have been 3 a.m. in California, and leaving some bizarre message on the answering machine for Lawrence Ferlinghetti. And I remember uh, soon after that receiving a rejection letter from City Lights Books that sort of spurred me on to going into publishing myself, or at least trying to. There's a a great deal uh, all bound up in Lawrence Ferlinghetti. Uh, I'm sure I'm leaving an awful lot out. But I wanted to read, I'd say, four poems from A Coney Island of the Mind, just for the sake of nostalgia and just for, uh, just for the record, I guess, of the earliest sounds of poetry that I fell in love with. And the first has to be uh, the first poem in A Coney Island of the Mind. I mentioned in an earlier episode reading the... Uh, a poem by uh, Laurie Scheck about driving, that my earliest poetry was written around the time that I got my driver's license, and, and much of it was about driving late at night on the highway. And so I'm sure that one reason that this poem by Ferlinghetti means so much to me, and meant so much to me then, was seeing that that kind of thing could be taken up in poetry and turned into a poem like this. In Goya's greatest scenes we seem to see the people of the world exactly at the moment when they first attained the title of suffering humanity. They writhe upon the page in a veritable rage of adversity, heaped up groaning with babies and bayonets under cement skies in an abstract landscape of blasted trees. Bent statues, bat wings and beaks, slippery gibbets, cadavers and carnivorous cocks, and all the final hollering monsters of the imagination of disaster. They are so bloody real, it is as if they really still existed. And they do. Only the landscape has changed. They still are ranged along the roads, plagued by legionnaires, false windmills and demented roosters. They are the same people, only further from home, on freeways fifty lanes wide, on a concrete continent spaced with bland billboards, illustrating imbecile illusions of happiness. The scene shows fewer tumbrils, but more strung-out citizens, in painted cars, and they have strange license plates and engines that devour America. And how inspiring those last two lines, three lines, were to someone, to a teenager or someone in their early 20s. And they have strange license plates and engines that devour America. But then uh, number 20 in A Coney Island of the Mind brings in the childhood, uh, brings in nostalgia, unapologetic nostalgia, 
uh, Early Love, and this is that poem. The Penny Candy Store Beyond the L is where I first fell in love with unreality. Jelly beans glowed in the semi-gloom of that September afternoon. A cat upon the counter moved along the licorice sticks and Tootsie Rolls and Old Boy Gum. Outside, the leaves were falling as they died. A wind had blown away the sun. A girl ran in, her hair was rainy, her breasts were breathless in the little room. Outside, the leaves were falling and they cried, too soon, too soon. And this was well before I had read Eliot's uh, Wasteland and came to associate those same moments with the hyacinth girl of the wasteland. And so it's nice to see it here associated with uh, the nostalgia and sort of regret and wonder of childhood as well. Too soon, too soon. And the last two poems are, they're included in A Coney Island of the Mind, but they come from Ferlinghetti's first book, Pictures of the Gone World. And here is some of his easy, uh, wonderful, easy sort of prophetic work. The world is a beautiful place to be born into. If you don't mind happiness not always being so very much fun, if you don't mind a touch of hell now and then, just when everything is fine, because even in heaven they don't sing all the time. The world is a beautiful place to be born into, if you don't mind some people dying all the time, or maybe only starving some of the time, which isn't half so bad if it isn't you. Oh, the world is a beautiful place to be born into. If you don't much mind a few dead minds in the higher places, or a bomb or two now and then in your upturned faces, or such other improprieties as our name-brand society is prey to, with its men of distinction and its men of extinction, and its priests and other patrolmen, and its various segregations and congressional investigations, and other constipations that our full flesh is heir to. Yes, the world is the best place of all for a lot of such things as making the fun scene and making the love scene and making the sad scene and singing low songs and having inspirations and walking around looking at everything and smelling flowers and goosing statues and even thinking and kissing people and making babies and wearing pants and waving hats and dancing and going swimming in rivers on picnics in the middle of the summer and just generally living it up. Yes, but then, right in the middle of it, comes the smiling mortician. And so the, the other book of poetry that I may have bought around the same time as this was the collected poems of, of Eliot, but I never got a sense from him, even though he was drenched in notes and allusions and references, that he was living affectionately with his poetic uh, forebears. I never had a sense that he was having a, 
dialogue, for instance, with Augustine or the Upanishads or Ezekiel or uh, any of the, the poets that he was uh, borrowing from. And that's one of the wonderful things about a Coney Island of the mind, and I guess was a lucky accident for me to find right there, right at the beginning of the poetry that I loved, there was this person, Lawrence Ferlinghetti, uh, who, was, who had humor and pathos and a bit of beauty. And he also had his way of just throwing off quotations and making it seem as if these writers, Yeats, Eliot, Whitman, uh, I'm sure many, many others, uh, his own friend, Allen Ginsberg, he had a way of writing about them and referring to them in his own poetry that showed a way forward for me of how to live with poetry. And the very last poem in A Coney Island of the Mind brings up the uh, one of the last poems by Yeats, as well as the death of Yeats, and I suppose now also the death of Lawrence Ferlinghetti, and I hope he rests in peace. Reading Yeats, I do not think of Ireland, but of midsummer New York, and of myself back then, reading that copy I found on the Third Avenue L, the L with its fly-hung fans, and its signs reading, Spitting is Forbidden. The L careening through its third-story world, with its third-story people in their third-story doors, looking as if they had never heard of the ground. An old dame watering her plant, or a joker in a straw, putting a stick pin in his peppermint tie, and looking just like he had nowhere to go but Coney Island. Or an undershirted guy, rocking in his rocker, watching the L pass by, as if he expected it to be different each time. Reading Yeats, I do not think of Arcady, and of its woods which Yeats thought dead. I think instead of all the gone faces, getting off at midtown places, with their hats and their jobs, and of that lost book I had, with its blue cover and its white inside, where a penciled hand had written, Horseman, Pass By. Any comments or suggestions for readings I should make in future episodes can be emailed to humanvoiceswakeus, the number one, at gmail.com. Links to each work used in this episode can be found in the episode description. If you enjoy Human Voices Wake Us, you can subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. The music here is Duke Ellington's Arabesque Cookie.